Once again, I want to welcome you. My name is David Payne. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, we are glad that you're here, especially if you're visiting with us. Uh, not only do we hope that you uh, that you feel welcome by our congregation and and uh, enjoy yourself. Frankly, I know that's maybe sacrilegious to say that you're supposed to enjoy yourself in church, but we hope that happens. But most importantly, we hope that you sense God's presence here, and as you leave, that you take that with you. Um, our wireless microphone is not working this morning. We were getting Martian communication through it. So uh, this is going to be uncomfortable for me all, week, uh, all morning. So just get used to it, okay? Because um, then I can't yell at you the same way. But um, just a couple things before we get into the sermon. Uh, uh, Emily mentioned our youth are getting uh, going. Uh, there's a party today. Uh, parents encourage you to go. There's a lot on the calendar and uh, some activities coming up and want to make sure you know about that starting next week. Uh, those kids will be having their uh, youth group time and stuff and there's some Bible studies coming up. Also, uh, for everyone, we've got some new programs, some new things getting ready to kick off the week after Labor Day. Uh, Something for everyone, and uh, just uh, we, you'll be getting it in newsletters and stuff. Want to encourage you if you got a chance, come Friday night. We're having that potluck dinner. Uh, it's just it's just a fun time. Um, it's cheaper than going to a restaurant, and uh, just come and, and enjoy yourself this Friday and uh, share share some uh, fellowship with us. We uh, just want to make sure you you get that opportunity. Also, uh, school is starting back, and I can tell by the smile of some of the parents that they're ready for their kids to go back to school, and uh, the opposite spectrum from that is the teachers who have to receive them, and uh, so I know we have several that work in schools, preschools, uh, daycares. If, if, you're, if you work in a school or daycare with kids, uh, would you stand for us just so we can know who to pray for this week? And uh, I, I, seriously, we uh, you you have a ministry where you are, and uh, we want to be in prayer for you, and just uh, pray for your perseverance and your uh, your your patience over the year. We have been talking in our over the last few weeks about rethinking church, of taking a look at some of the assumptions we have about what church is, and. Uh, uh, just to give you an idea, wh- what I'm trying to do is sort of name the elephant that's in the room. Uh, until until you deal with reality, until you until you state where we are, it's hard to talk about where we're going. And uh, so, uh, and we're not as we talk about this, we're not just talking about this church. We're talking about Christianity as it has become known in in our world today. Okay, so I'm not picking on us. I'm not picking on any particular denomination. I'm not picking on, I'm picking on our selfish thing we call American Christianity. And we're, we're just sort of taking a look at it, reevaluating. What is it that, that we're supposed to do? What, what, what was it that God intended for the church to be? What, what did he want to accomplish through this thing called the church? And the first thing we have to recognize is that many of our traditions, many of the ways we do, many of the things that we're so passionate about that if they take them out or we mess with them, that people get all upset, change change churches, leave churches. Most of that has nothing to do with a biblical basis. 
There's no pipe organ anywhere in the uh, New Testament. <laughs> Haven't found one yet. There's not even a sanctuary in the New Testament. There's a temple, but that was the Jewish temple. You know where the Christian group met? The way they didn't meet in temples, they met in public gathering spaces. And when they weren't meeting there, they were meeting in underground uh, tunnels and, and places to escape uh, persecution. But they didn't have fancy, fancy buildings. They didn't have an order of worship that said that you welcome, sit, stand, up, down, fight, 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 go, God, go, the way, the way we have an order of worship. And I tell you the truth, in order to blame somebody, we're Methodists. If, you're, if somebody's going to come up with a method to do worship, it's going to be us, so you can blame us on that one. A lot of those things that we think church really had nothing to do with what God intended church to be. In fact, the, the, the thing we talk about of going to church, of coming to church, I haven't been to church in a long time. Last time I went to church, I would, uh, I'm going to church today. I went to church today. I can't believe, I'm never going back to church again. We always talk about church as a destination. In the scriptures, church isn't a destination. The church is the body of Christ, the group of believers who are tasked with taking the message out into the world. It's not a place you go, it's, a, it's who you are. The church is not a, a destination. The church is us, wherever we are, whether we're in a building or not, whether you're up on this ground or not. And we teach our kids this right from the very beginning. They walk in this room and they're, oh, this is God's house, don't run here. The whole freaking place, I'm sorry, the whole place is God's place. The whole earth and universe is God's place. And who made a rule that you can't run in God's place? I didn't, I didn't know that was, that was the deal. We have some wrong assumptions about church. Can we agree on that? And if you don't, I'm sorry. But now you have something to talk about at lunch. <laughs> of how wrong I was. What I want to do before we get into it, I've been thinking about this uh, over these weeks, and and actually, th this is something I've been thinking about since I went into ministry, and and just over the last couple of weeks, as I've been uh, deciding what I what I need to share with you and stuff, and been doing some reading. This this week, I um, in my reading, I was reading one of the the prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, and uh, Jeremiah is an interesting prophet to read. He's a young man. In the first chapter, God calls him and tasks him with this great job of telling God's people that they're disappointing him, that they're on the wrong track. And, and in the message it says, and Jeremiah, they're not going to like you, and they're not going to listen to your message, but don't let them scare you, because I'm with you. I, I, I sort of tagged on to that when I was a young pastor, and I still sort of feel like that sometime. Last night I was at a wedding deal and met a guy who left the infantry, combat infantry, to go into ministry. And he was saying, that's a weird, weird transition. I said, actually, that's pretty good training. <laughs> so, but Jeremiah chapter 2. Uh, I'm not going to have this up here. What I want you to hear, remember this is Old Testament. It's Old Testament language. Whenever we're talking about Israel, God's children, 
you can translate that for our times that we are the church. We are the chosen people. We are his, his, uh, people that he has, has shined a light on. You're not going to get all of it. I'm going to give it a, you can go back and read it tonight by, or read it this afternoon if you want. But I just, this will help me to where, where I want to go this morning. So God says, I want Jeremiah, I want you to go share this message with the people. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and you followed me even through the barren wilderness. In those days, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his children, and all who harmed his people were declared guilty and disaster fell on them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Listen to the word of the Lord, people of Jacob, all you families of Israel. This is what God says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. They didn't ask, where's the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and death where no one lives or even travels. And when I brought you into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the possession I had promised you. Your priests didn't ask, where's the Lord? Those who taught my word ignored me. The rulers turned against me and the prophets spoke in the name of Baal wasting their time on worthless idols. Therefore, I have this case against you. I will even bring charges against your children's children in the years to come. Go west and look in the land of Cyprus. Go east and search through the land of Kedar. Has anyone ever heard anything as strange as this? Has any nation ever traded its God for a new one? Even though they're not gods at all. Yet that's exactly what my people have done. They have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord, for my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, me who is the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. But I think when I read that, as I was reading that, the thing that jumped out to me is, as God was talking to the Israelites, what he was saying is, you know what? From the beginning, I have poured myself out for you. I did thing after thing after thing after thing to show how important you were to me. I gave you everything you needed. I defeated your enemies. I, I lifted you up even when you didn't deserve it. Even when you, you messed up the things I told you to do, I still was there for you. And, and then I give you this gift of the, the promised land. I take you where I said I would. I gave you the things I promised I would. And then as soon as you got there, you turned away from me. As soon as you got what you wanted from me, you were no longer interested. And you, you turn the things I gave you, you turn the gift I gave you into something that, that I don't like anymore because you took me out of it. As I was reading that, I, I just couldn't help sort of relating that to, to a place where we as a church have a danger of falling. That, that not too long ago, as, as God was building this thing together and pulling it together, how we were so excited for that and we counted on his blessing and we counted on his, on his, on his presence and his, on his power and how he, he brought it together and he's, he's raised up 
resources for us. He's given us all sorts of things to take advantage of and to, to use as, as leverage to be able to share his message with those out there. And yet what we have done is instead of using them as resources, we have made these structures the thing that's important. We've begun to, to think that, that church is about this rather than where we go and what we've done. That we've gotten lazy. That we don't really value this thing we call Christianity. That it's convenient for us and we like what we get out of it, but we're not going to make any effort to, to be a part of it. That we have tried to create idols for ourselves to replace the one true living God, and that idol is our own ego our own desires, our own likes. That's, that's sort of where we're going today. The church is not about buildings and structures. Church is not about building walls, but church is about opening doors. It is so easy for us to think of church in terms of the place we go, the place we are. And you go over to Europe and you see those wonderful cathedrals and you see, you see the wonderful architecture and some of you have had experiences in those buildings. I mean, it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. But even in their, even in their structure, is that where God lives? I, I can have you talk to a group of teenagers that spent, uh, a camp this summer, uh, west of Kerrville in 102 degree heat every day with no air conditioning with sweaty, smelly teenage bodies all around them. And as they sang and worshiped and praised, they had a power of God that they'll never forget. Why is it we try to confine them into a building? Why is it we, we, we rob him of his power? Why is it we rob ourselves of the chance to participate in this wonderful thing that God wants to, to involve us in? Why do we, why do we take that opportunity away from ourselves? You know why? Because it takes too much effort. It's much more fun to go to a group that, that just is so happy that somebody showed up that we're going to pat you on the back and give you an award for it. When I was in seminary, I went to a little church there that they were so desperate for people that if somebody was stupid enough to come for a month of Sunday school, you got a ribbon. And there were some of those poor little hill country folk there in, in Kentucky that would come to church with all their ribbons across their thing. And that's how they, that's how you knew who was important in the church the more ribbons you had. Didn't do anything while they were there. In fact, most of them just complained while they were there. And the church was going away and it wasn't reaching out to any... I mean, they were all related. That's really true in Kentucky most of the time. (laughs) And if you weren't related, they knew the family of the ones you were talking about and you got in trouble. But And you know what? We can make fun of it being in Kentucky, you know, but... We, we maybe don't give out ribbons, but we still have people that strut around just thinking, wow, 
Aren't I something because I showed up to church three weeks in a row? Aren't I something because I put in $5 in the offering plate? I was dumb enough to pay $10 for a breakfast taco this morning. God really loves me. We don't pass out the ribbons, but we don't need to because with our egos and our self-centeredness, we wear them with pride. And in doing so, we have lost complete focus of what we are called to do. See, the, the, the thing that gets in the way of what God wants to do the most is our pride is our self-righteousness, is our knowing everything we need to know. It's us that gets in the way. Look at, look at when Jesus was here. The people who should have seen him as the most power, the people who had the most inside information, the people who could have been his greatest allies, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time, missed it, completely missed it. In fact, made him an enemy because of their self-righteousness. Because they already knew what they, they needed. And it had nothing to do with what Jesus was teaching. I just wonder, not only in this church, but in church everywhere, how many of us, if we're honest, if you were going to be completely honest, would say, I want a church that has nothing to do with that stuff Jesus talked about. Because if we're going to be a church that does what Jesus talked about, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take effort. You don't get a ribbon for showing up. In fact, you don't get a ribbon, period. If you want a prize, it comes that you have a place you belong. That you know that you're living in tune with your Creator. That he has prepared a place for you that at some point we will get to be in his presence and he will, that's your reward. In fact, he says, if you're looking for rewards on earth, keep looking. Cause that's not where they're going to come. But even saying that by being in tune with, in concert with God, by following in his footsteps, by being obedient to him, you know what? You have this sense of fulfillment and joy and peace. That is a reward in and of itself. We've, we've spent so many years raising up structures, thinking that now that we have this, wow, we're a church. No. This was just what God gave us to accomplish His work. This was a resource. And we forget that. And we're already on to the next one. When do we get to build the next one? And we, we do the whole Kevin Costner, what was the baseball movie? Yeah, yeah, Field of Dreams. Build it and they will come. That's become church theology. How about love them and show them Jesus and let him do what he wants with them? How about we spend as much on missions and outreach as we do on buildings and, and facilities? How about we put as much pride in the way we live out in the world as we do of what our facilities look like? Again, I'm just giving you something to talk about over lunch. Here's a, here's a passage for you. It's from James. I just think it's a, 
It's a reminder of what happens when we fall into that self-righteousness. I think this is the number one way we build walls for people rather than doors. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, really what you're doing is criticizing and judging God's law. Our job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to us. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Oh, where'd you go? You went from church buildings to judging. You know what? You know the church building we most love to build is the church building of I'm right and you're wrong. It's the church building in... in, in it's really cheap to build, and that's why we build so many of them. It's the, it's the pinnacle of my idolatry and my self-sufficiency and my ego that says anyone who is not like me is wrong. And there is not one thing that turns off the world from the message of God than self-righteousness. There's not one thing that will make people run screaming away from us more than a judging, pointing heart. I know some of you are here this morning for the first time. You're going, oh my gosh, is it always like this? Here, I, I just, I, I brought you all down now. I, now I want to build you back up, all right? Remember what I said? We got to discover the elephant in the room before we can move forward. We've, you got to deal in reality before you can remember the promise. That's what happens in the, in the Old Testament prophecies. It starts with reality. This is who you are. This is what you have done. This is why I'm upset with you. This is why you are not experiencing my blessing. This is why you have fallen so far away from me. Once he has clearly established reality, then, then he gives the promise. What we've been trying to do over the last three weeks is discover the reality. But just because... We've been talking about reality doesn't mean the promise isn't there. The promise is there. The promise says that God so loves the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The promise says that God's love is for everyone, that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from his love. Death, death can't, love can't, uh, sickness can't, peril can't, angels and devils can't, church good and church bad can't. There is absolutely nothing in all this creation that can separate us from, from God's love. That's the promise. The promise is also that when we give ourselves to him, that he gives us his Holy Spirit that emboldens us and gives us the strength to become the people that he wants to, that he invites us into ministry with him, that we get to be his hands and feet, that we get to be the message out in the world, that we get to have a purpose other than patting ourselves on the back, that our life gets to mean something other than what we can accumulate for ourselves. The promise is there. And over the next few weeks, over the next few months, actually, we're going to be talking about the promise. We're going to be talking about how we go from our reality and, and operate more in the promise, how we become 
the people of God. How we become the message. How we, how we transform what church is in our thinking. How it acts in the world. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to unfold that all for you in the last three minutes here. I just, I just ask for you to, to keep listening, to keep praying, to keep participating. This is, we're, you know, desperation makes people do weird things. And because of our economy, because of, because of drought, because of pressures of the world, there's a lot of people in sort of desperate circumstances right now. And churches as a whole are sort of feeling that. Their attendance going down, their giving's going down. And you know, desperation makes people do crazy things. I'm just hoping that desperation will maybe allow this church to be stupid enough to listen to God for once. Not for once, again. I, I'm just hoping that our desperation would, would make us crazy enough to think that we could actually make a difference in the world. I'm just wondering if our desperation would make us willing to, to give up our own agendas and seek after His. Why don't you bow with me? Let's pray. Yeah, we talked about some heavy things, and, and we've taken a look in the mirror, and, and frankly, we don't like what we see. And it's uncomfortable to talk about. We like it a lot better when we get to leave here, slapping ourselves on the back, feeling like we accomplished something by showing up today. And God, there, there is a, there is a strength, and there is a, something that happens when your people gather together in your name. And that's what we want to have happen to us, God. Is that as we meet together, as we, as we come together, that we are transformed by your presence, by your spirit, by your will. That we're reshaped and remolded and put into your image. And God, you've done some wonderful things in this church. You have brought together wonderful people. We have such potential. And we just don't want to slip into self-righteousness. We just don't want to become a building. We want to be a door. A door that allows anyone and everyone to come through and experience your love, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. Continue to speak to each one of us. Continue to humble each one of us. Continue to open our eyes to ways we can serve you. And God, what I pray for most of all is a, is a passion, a commitment, a fire within each one of us that your spirit might so consume us that, that we will want to, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to follow after you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.